0: The people have spoken, and Jeff Ross has returned for Roast Battle 2. The Fortnite event features top comedians getting verbally violent until just one is left standing. Featuring a star-studded lineup of judges, including Snoop Dogg, Sarah Silverman, and Jason Sudeikis, this is a battle you do not want to miss. The Fortnite event begins January 26th at 10, 9 central on Comedy Central, and don't miss the live finale on January 29th. That's a Sunday at 10, 9 central to see who gets crowned the king or queen of cruelty. Hey guys, by, by the way, we're doing a podcast on Thursday. That's going to be largely a mailbag podcast. So if you have questions for me and Andy, make sure you hit us at the watch pod on Twitter. Send your questions to at the watch pod on Twitter. I need supports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. now. Hello and welcome to The Watch, my name is Chris Ryan, I am an editor at TheRigger.com and joining me in the studio, the kangaroo in the Vatican, it's Andy Greenwald! Woo!
1: Hello! Down from, under! From Noah's Ark.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're a little wet. It's raining. Yeah, and I don't mean the
1: training day way. <laughs> no. <laughs> wow, that would be a great way to start Monday. A little angel dust with your coffee?
0: Yeah. How you doing, man?
1: Chris, big day, big weekend. Mm. Big weekend. Mm. Um... I know you and I both put on our protest boots, went for a walk, although I actually don't know that you did. We were just discussing this.
0: Yeah, because I didn't post anything to social media. And I also went alone, which was an interesting move by me.
1: I like you're 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 kind of the creeper. You're like, I heard the women are marching. <laughs> Let me just roll up in there. <laughs> you rolled in alone. Here, here, here's what I know. It's interesting. Maybe this is a comment on our, our, our current era, you know, like thanks to thanks to to to, to Soch, mm. Which I'm not being in, Not Social except media. <laughs> I'm only on Instagram as 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 the real heads know. Yeah. Uh I know um Sky Ferreira was there. Yeah. I know Jamie Lee Curtis was there.
0: You can tell that I was there because I saw the wonderful Carmen Manheim on my way down there. Cameron Mannheim? <laughs> is it Cameron you call her Carbon? <laughs> That's why she got so mad at me. <laughs> 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 is it Cameron? It's Cameron Manheim, isn't it? Oh my it? bad. Yeah. From like the practice? I've had it, like I'm this is like I'm like batting 230 with like names and pronunciations right now. That's okay. The Mendoza line is approaching.
1: That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, it was it was a it was a big weekend for protests and a little little respite from the rain, so that's good for us.
0: Yeah, that was beautiful.
1: Uh Culture never stops
0: though. No, it doesn't. We're going to do uh The Good Place today, which wrapped up its first season last week.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to talk about
0: it. Uh this. we're also going to talk about The Young Pope and we will touch briefly on
1: Oh, it's not going to be brief.
0: <laughs> on Homeland, but before we... Homeland, you did it to me again! <laughs> before we do, let's do a quick in and out, the only piece of news that matters this weekend. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, which I didn't know about. See, by the way, I just want to put this out here for the listeners. I think, much like Letter from Taboo Island, I really like it when Chris just drops bombs on me when I arrive, which he did, but we weren't recording. I did not know this news had broken, the yeah, Star Wars Yeah, so they've news.
0: decided on the... They've decided. They've decided. They've, the... <laughs> The title, the subtitle for the new Star Wars film, Episode Eight, is The Last Jedi.
1: Now, where did you read this news? Was it in a real news or a fake news? There was a guy
0: outside my house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. And he was like, I'm the last Jedi. See, here's the thing about this. Let me, let me talk you and through it. And I was it. like, Ewan McGregor, <laughs> I love your work. <laughs> let, me t- let me
1: talk you through this. It's a double meaning. I, yeah, I know. You get that? I know. I've
0: already written a blog post about this. Are you serious? Yeah. Since we started recording? I get up and I do P90X. Yeah. I do CrossFit. Uh-huh. And then I blog. Yeah. And then I come in and I record with you.
1: I like the image of you just sitting in your home <laughs> with a giant mega jug of creatine solution. <laughs>
0: throwing truck tires. Just throwing <laughs> truck
1: tires, writing a blog post and be like, I'm going to go march with some women.
0: <laughs> Are you guys marching again? <laughs> uh, I, uh, yeah,
1: because cause Luke's the last Jedi.
0: Or is he? Or is it Kylo Ren? Oh, oh
1: no, it's. What about our leading lady?
0: I'm just saying, there could be tons of them. There could be many last Jedis. Boy, that would be a real switcheroo. Do you uh, really think, I mean, like, here's the thing. is my my I'm in on this title. It's simple. It's direct. It evokes in the, the most important, like, sort of, I, d- you know, The story idea in line. all of this,
1: which is that this might be the last one, finally. No, but it's not,
0: because there's another <laughs> one coming. But, and that's the problem with it, is that just in case, you know, they were like, why don't we make four or five more of these? Yeah. There, there might be, need to be some future Jedis. I feel like there will be. Do you think it's almost like Russian roulette among the cast where they're like, I don't want to be the last Jedi because that might mean I need to be in these movies for 21 years? Right. Um,
1: Then they look at their bank accounts and they're like, okay, bet.
0: Yeah, right. The interesting thing to see... Jeremy Renner face.
1: Here's the interesting thing. As as franchises move into um, the year-round employment model, the reason why Marvel is not only working, but the reason why all those actors just keep working is because they basically have a home base in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. They're always running like one to three movies. They have writers there. They have various actors just shuttling in and out. Yeah, it's so sort now, of like a
0: FDR's Works Progress Theater. It's, <laughs> it's
1: very beautiful thought. <laughs> yeah. they. Uh, so I'm saying like it's not that big a deal for Paul Rudd in between his many other commitments to be like, yeah, I'll just go do Ant-Man for a week. Right. Pencil into the sketch. Right. Whereas I think that with the Star Wars movies, it's early days. Because they have the, the the new spine of the storyline, of which Last Jedi is among them, and then they have these sort of tangentially related spinoff things, and they're not in constant production yet. Sure. Right? So, I guess what I'm saying is, John Boyega might be busy. That's true. He might be busy, but... Probably not because Star Wars is very popular.
0: Speaking of those
1: uh, Marvel movies, well, can I just ask you? Who did did like? Did they let Ryan Johnson announce this at least, or was this? Like, this like, was on Kathleen? Deadline.
0: I don't know. I mean, I think it was just like Star Wars officially announced it. I don't think Ryan Johnson was like. I've been thinking really hard about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was reading Deadline this morning, and a lot lot of news coming out of Sundance. Not really news, but just like a lot of chat. You I know?
1: love the more this becomes an industry pot, and
0: uh, really good uh, interview with. With our boy Jeremy Renner, who's in this movie yes. called Wind River, directed heard, by Taylor, Taylor Sheridan. This is the, apparently
1: the the third <laughs> film in his unofficial America trilogy. Did somebody say that? <laughs> what, did S- I just say that? Sicario
0: and Hell or High Water. He
1: wrote those, but he wrote and directed
0: this. Right? Elizabeth Olsen plays a uh, wet behind the ears FBI agent named Scarlet Witch. <laughs> Is there an overlap? Jeremy Renner plays a game tracker in a small Wyoming town who helps her investigate a murder on a Native American reservation. And uh, they were talking about uh, like what it's like to work on a Marvel movie compared to Wind Mm -hmm. River. And they were just like, yeah, you know, they were basically like. You know, they're usually on a Marvel movie, there's like 400 extras, and you spend most of your time acting against a green screen with a yeah. stunt double, and then maybe spend like five minutes on set. Yeah. It was really, I mean, it was just really, and then, but Jeremy Renner said, it's all about problem solving. Big movie, small movie, it's all about problem solving. Is that what he said? Mm-hmm. Is that, do you think what he you said? You know what that sounds like? Yeah. It sounds like how you flip a house. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> house flipping's all about problem solving. He's like, ah, oh, I don't like this drop ceiling, that's a problem, yeah. I'm gonna solve it. these
1: sconces, get them out. Um... This movie. So wait. So so Jeremy Renner is a Native American. No, big no, game he's hunter? just a game tracker. Oh, yeah, that's a game changer. <laughs> yeah,
0: he's yeah. just a game tracker. As far as I know, yeah, I have not seen the film.
1: The thing that I like about this, just a little. No, I've not seen the film either. By the way, I don't want to leave you yeah, in suspense. I just got back
0: from Sundance this morning. I went and came back.
1: Um, I like the idea. P ninety X. I just feel like if you gave if you cast anyone else in this role, uh-huh. right, if you cast uh, Adam Driver or you cast. Um, Uh, um, Joel Edgerton. Joel Edgerton. I feel like they would probably, you know, attempt to track some game. You know what I mean? Like they would go out, they would like kneel next to grass, like sniff things. You mean like like, in
0: training? I feel like like they would get a little
1: Yeah. Not Renner, it's problem solving.
0: (laughs) No, it's just problem solving. (laughs) It's the same thing. (laughs) It's just like you go in and the foundation's off by an inch. You just gotta solve the problem. Whether
1: you are in search of a large bison or the perfect sconce, (laughs) it's all the same thing.
0: Um, Okay, let's start talking a little bit about what we gather here today to talk about. Dearly beloved. Which is The Good Place. Uh, NBC sitcom, Mm -hmm. Mike Shore, Parks and Rec, The Office, right? You're just doing bullet points? Yeah, just the bullet points. And it starts Kristen Bell about a woman who is not very good being Mm -hmm. sent to Heaven. now we are going to be talking about the finale so if you haven't watched it yeah. you uh fast should forward. yeah let me say this just rejoin us at a later date we
1: talked about the show briefly when it premiered and then we fell um unfortunately silent on the topic I've enjoyed the entire season it is a terrific first season it has a hell of a finale a really brilliantly done twist um the sort of thing that is hard to do these days mm-hmm. I think um if you don't want to hear about the twist fast forward Wait till, like, just keep fast forwarding until you hear Chris trilling like a big game tracker, and then you can resume play. Wait till you
0: hear me s- sniffing the grass. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. It's definitely just the grass. Um, I recommend you watch the show. Okay, let's get into it.
0: Um, you go first, I because I I, I want to hear how you felt about this first season.
1: Um, I am an easy mark for the show, full stop. I love Mike Schur's comedies. I love watching them develop. Uh, I've said this many times in the pod, I'll say it again. Um, he gave me some of the best insight into how comedies work, which is that how tricky they are and how it's problem solving. (laughs) No, he's the one who said to me, and I talked to him about this when he was on my podcast, um, which is the one I don't do with you just, just to get that look (laughs) off your face. Um, that basically, he in a perfect world, he thinks anytime you get to make a comedy, you should make 10 episodes, throw them away, and start airing them with the 11th because it takes that long for the, oh. pro- the concept to gel, for the cast to gel, for the writers this was, to start That was to- certainly
0: the case with Parks. With Parks, right. Yeah.
1: And uh, I think he probably feels that the same way with the uh, the American office and many other single-camera sitcoms that we, that we know and love. I think if you even watch things like 30 Rock, like the early ones, it's not the same show that it became, certainly. Um, so I think that he, knowing that, he was way ahead of it. I mean, he thought about the show a lot. Um, he planned it. He, he problem solved it. He got a phenomenal cast, but even so you watched the same growing pains happens. And it was interesting because this was a pretty unique show. It was an attempt to both add a little luster and originality and class back to NBC's comedy lineup and certainly to it's Thursday night. Terrific cast. Um, Ted Danson and Kristen Bell are the, are the, the top liners, mm-hmm. but William Jackson Harper, uh, it was tremendous as Chidi, the woman who plays Tahani, whose name I'm blanking on because it's Monday morning and I haven't sniffed enough grass. <laughs> um, it's it's a great it's a great cast. But uh, he was also trying to push things forward. Parks and Rec, I d- I do not think inappropriately has been compared to The Wire in the sense that it was all about change. Yeah. that's what he wanted to do. In this, he attempted to do to do something that was tightly serialized. Um, every episode was a cliffhanger for the next episode. But yet, still do the kind of warm world building that he's, and it's high concept. I mean, it's set in an afterlife. Um, Your your setup of this done before.
0: You're the idea of this being a ten episode sort of warm up Mm throws. I I really like this show. Mm -hmm. I find that like I found a little bit episode to episode, Mm -hmm. it it was like a little repetitive in like the experience of watching it. That I know that that it felt very much like a whiteboard show where like there are questions about that they wanted to ask and answer not about television or characters on the show but about life and about like what it means to be a good person Mm -hmm. and whether or not um goodness is rooted in selflessness which is essentially what the last two two or three episodes are about but just as like a watching experience sometimes i got a little bored of the repetitive nature of the like you know, it's basically characters sitting in different rooms talking about morality.
1: And ethics. And, and ethics, do, yeah. Do, do you think that the twist, which we'll now talk about, um, put your experience watching the first 12 episodes in a different light? Absolutely. Because here's the thing. Um, I think that when the show... First of all, NBC did not do the show any favors, as unexpected. I mean, not unexpectedly, because they never know how to treat good things. Um, right.
0: So they ran like they ran, six, seven of them or six of them up until They ran nine of them. Right.
1: Uh, up until the holidays. And the, the show got... Perfectly good ratings. Yeah, I mean, for an NBC comedy, it got very good ratings. Uh, then for the holidays and football and everything, they just went dark and then came back with basically two weeks or three weeks.
0: I think they did. They, they did ran the last finale. two back to back. Uh, uh, I, I, what do you think about like the, what are they going to do? Because I feel like most shows, network shows. Yeah disappear for the winter like that like they disappear for December and January It's just ridiculous though because they basically
1: built this show to run like a cable show. Sure. You know it's tightly serialized 13 episodes. You can run it up until the holidays if you do it right, right. you know, and then it'll come back in a year and it, you know it it was a very sneaky way to sort of be, be progressive about the way you make comedies in the cable and streaming era and they even they botched even they botched that. Yeah. Um anyway, the, the thing is you're watching it for for 10 weeks, 11 weeks and it works you know it is a it is a high concept but situational comedy in that these people are struggling to to get better and and the irony of the joke is that heaven even heaven isn't perfect and some people have slipped in uh, and can they stay and what it would mean to stay and how many times can you get adam scott to come back and be a douchebag because that's always a plus i know <laughs> in the finale we learn that no, no, no. Hell is other people. Hell is other people, as the great Betty Serviert once sang. And I'm sure that was the only reference <laughs> <laughs> that people expected when we say hell is other people. Um, They're in hell. They've been in hell the whole time. Yeah. Ted Danson, not a bumbling angel, a sneaky devious devil. Yeah. Pretty big twist, pretty massive twist, and a pretty bold embracing, a pretty bold embrace of what TV is now. And I was very impressed by that because I will say... Mike Schur, big thinker, big thinker about TV, you know. Um even when he was making this comedy, I know he he met with Damon Lindelof from Lost, but basically like how do you do something this high concept? Right. How do you how do you do a mystery show? Um, and it's very possible that this show could have gone on in the version of it we thought that it was for quite some time. But he didn't and I w- I'm so impressed by that because it, just to use an example, I recently in my other life trying to write for TV, I had an experience where I have been railing against the sameness of TV uh, as a critic for a bunch of years, yeah. and saying you got to think outside the box. You have to change things. But then you, can't. you got
0: into the writers' room, and you were like, "We need a grizzled cop."
1: Yeah, I think we need to like <laughs> stare balefully at deer. You know, like I just want like meaningful animal interactions.
0: Oh, I, I'm, I'm a fraud Wait, in a you, cell. Were house, you like, believe me, guys. What if he turns to him and says, "Am I a bad person?" <laughs> like this is just just blue sky's pitch here, top of the head. We joke because that's what we do. But the truth
1: is the idea that TV, that a successful TV show is a is a um, ecosystem that you you build that can run forever is built into my DNA as much as it is everyone else's. Mm -hmm. That the goal is to make something with enough story to just run and run and run. Yeah. You don't get in the way of that. You don't mess it up. You don't drop a big surprise and flip everything uh, in the finale. And the conservatism runs deep. I'm saying even in creators and actors and critics and thinkers about TV, he shook it up. Yeah. He shook it up. And I think I think it was extremely exciting. And I've been thinking about the finale ever since I saw it.
0: Yeah, you can feel in the last five minutes of the episode, of the final episode, how much all the characters. It's not a twist. In a... There have been twists in the OA. There have been twists in Westworld where either they're telegraphed or you feel betrayed by an you know, a sort of journey that you had gone on with the characters of the that, storytellers. That reminds me
1: of the twist in this podcast when you liked taboo,
0: <laughs> I was betrayed. But um, this one was not telegraphed, and also was very much uh, in service of all. All of a sudden, all these characters who felt a little flat, or maybe like that they were speaking, they they were just in service of an idea. Mm-hmm. Like the, a character was serving a like a.
1: Right. Like these people wouldn't really
0: be a there, philosophy,
1: yeah. but they're there to represent something yes, in the exactly. world that's been built.
0: Now, all of a sudden, it all makes sense. Now, it's really quite a dice roll to say we're going to spend f- six, six and a half hours or however much wh- long it was and gamble on getting a second season to wait until the 13th episode to be like, and now these people are all, make, they all make sense, sort yeah. of. Because for a while, it is almost like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of what the tone was like. But it was almost like this like you were living inside of an IKEA catalog of like just like this perfect comforting experience that was just basically like padding around ideas. Well, also
1: remember we had the we had the super flaming hot take when the show debuted that like that it seemed like a show for the Obama era. Yeah. Because right. it was whereas Parks and Rec was a show about, you know, the struggle to do good works in a bureaucracy in a society that is stacked against it. This was a show that existed on literally on a higher plane. Mm-hmm. It was purely about just the notion of goodness. And it and it threatened, I thought, to sort of fritter away into immateriality. Like it almost it's, it's just pure, a purely academic exercise. Yeah. And it wasn't that it also allowed. Um, I think it was
0: also tough because, it, you know, a lot of humor is really rooted in. A, it's, it's it was it was tough because the humor was rooted in like a kind of like right down the middle. Pop cultural reference kind of space, and the way that they now you like look back at all the jokes even differently mm-hmm. is is kind of interesting.
1: I like the the time when when Tahani was showed uh, Eleanor her favorite British comedy about the the Cockney woman and the high class woman, <laughs> yeah. and she said it was quite a, quite a smash in Britain. Sixteen seasons—that's almost thirty episodes. A <laughs> Little inside baseball there. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I, I just think it's it's interesting to note. We didn't see it when it was happening, but this fall there definitely was. A uh, extremely high concept show that dealt with issues of humanity and morality, who we are and what we owe to each other. That was completely a mystery box that had a ton of material for Reddit and was worth it and stuck the landing. And it was not Westworld. Yeah, it was this man. It was the good place. I, I, people are saying, you know, there, there's Will It Get Renewed. I think Deadline, your favorite website, <laughs> said something like, uh, you know, Mike Schur huddled with some writers. They're plotting the second season. They're going to pitch the studio. I have no inside knowledge of this. Mike himself has gone radio silent, um, letting the finale speak for itself. But I would be shocked if there isn't a second season. I would be shocked with the talent involved and the commitment made to it. Also, if you consider the fact that the commitment for the first season was only 13 episodes, which, which I feel like maybe sneaky backdoor stuff would be maybe they gave it one season commitment but broken into two. Sure. Essentially the same number of episodes. But something like this would just would thrive on Netflix and if they there's were going so to possibilities. I
0: mean, there, there was a degree of, it actually, your Westworld comparison is apt because Ooh, when they take the you. train to the medium place, mm, it was actually as exciting as any departure from the sets in Westworld. You know what I mean? Because you felt in, like. Any
1: train based departure? No, you because just felt like that.
0: you had spent so much time and so much effort sort of rooted in this one town yeah and in these three sets that to depart from there felt pretty significant. <laughs> the lady in the medium place who loves cocaine <laughs> was really funny. Yeah. She's great. Um okay let's move on to Young Pope. Before we do let's take a quick break from our sponsors. <laughs> Hey guys, just want to tell you a little bit about the Black Tux. Looking great for a wedding or a special event has never been easier with the BlackTux.com. With high quality rental suits and tuxedos delivered straight to your doorstep, the Black Tux is giving guys a new way to rent. And get this. The Black Tux offers free home try-on so you can see the fit and feel the quality of your suit months before the event. And the best part, it's completely done online. No trips to the Tux shop required. The lets you create your look or choose from tons of stylish selected outfits starting at just $95. These suits have a modern fit and are made of fine Italian wool, the highest quality on the rental market. And if you have any questions or issues, their expert customer care team has your back every step of the way. After ordering, your suit will arrive 14 days before your event. That's a full two weeks to try it on. Make sure everything fits. If anything is less than perfect, the Black Tux will send you a free replacement right away. When your event is over, just drop your rental back in the mail. Shipping is free both ways. How easy is that? To get started now, visit the blacktux.com/bspn and experience a new way to rent. The blacktux.com/bspn. Hey guys, just want to tell you a little bit about Blue Apron. First off, their seafood is sourced sustainably under standards developed in partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. Their beef is raised humanely, the chickens are free range, the pork is raised naturally and produced using regenerative farming practices. Also, Blue Apron can be delivered to 99% of the continental U.S. and 99.5% of food deserts. And because Blue Apron ships the exact amount of each ingredient required for a recipe, they are reducing food waste. Some of the meals that are available this month include spicy shrimp and Korean rice cakes with cabbage and furikak. Pork chops and garlic piccata with scallion rice and spinach. Mushroom and chipotle pepper enchiladas with lime sour cream. God, this sounds really good. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with shipping by going to blueapron.com slash thewatch. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash thewatch. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Andy. Hey, man. I love the young Pope. Yes! I think that I... Woo! I I wasn't soft-selling it. But I was letting you take the lead. You know what I mean? I was letting you, no. I was, I was, what was it, drafting you? You know what I mean? Like when you get right behind you somebody. You were
1: a wet behind the ears cop and I was a big <laughs> game tracker. That's and right. I was like, I got one. I got a big one. And you were like, I don't know if I should follow you, <laughs> you out there.
0: Dipped your hand into a pile of horse manure and yeah. you're like, it's fresh.
1: Oh, Feels so warm <laughs> in my hand.
0: Um, Sean Fennessy, our co, my coworker, our coworker. Oh. He's your coworker as well. Recently, he came into my office as he's y- want to do wearing, um, a full full papal regalia. Yeah. And he just said, the young Pope, he's born to it. it, Everybody thinks the young Pope is just this like weird, surrealistic show. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He's like, it's an office comedy. Something like that. I'm sorry, Sean, if I'm misquoting you, but it was basically, it's all, he's like, it's all about the intrigue and the politics behind the scenes. And I think in the third episode, that becomes especially clear. Yeah. Also think the third episode was very, very funny. Yes. And not in a way where it's just like memes. It's like actually funny. This show, the, show is, me, the show has jokes. This re- show really reminds me of like early 80s Scorsese. It has like a sort of irreverence. Uh, and, and dare I say it, an irreverence. That's why I said irreverence. Oh, I think you said irreverence. Because no, it has both. It has, it's irreverent and reverent. Mm. And, but the, especially visually. And it's not just like, oh, there's a kangaroo in the garden. But there's like actually like like the credit sequence in this episode was hysterical. So I was going to ask you about that. Because I,
1: I think we both watched the first two on the HBO press site. Was this credit sequence on the other episodes? Because, holy shit, is that a good credit sequence? No, the credit sequence sequence is different every week. Oh, because this one wasn't... Okay.
0: I didn't know if this was, like, now the new credit sequence. No, I think they do a different credit sequence every week. I don't care. I loved it. Yeah. The music's beautiful in this. I love the... I think Keaton is like we're not talking enough about Diane Keaton. No. You know, we Diane never Keaton. Have, we never have. As we're not talking society. about her ability to drive and kick with the pill. Like, yeah, you know, just really get into the paint and find the shooter. I love that. Um, Crisp chest passes. Yeah, uh, and Cromwell's great. It's just like the and I find I find it to be the first time in a while that I have watched a show and just been kind of like I have no idea whatsoever what is coming next.
1: I. Let's talk about, let's talk again about the faces that they cast, the Italian actors in the background, the guy who plays Gutierrez, who, um, by the way, it's an admirable place to stash the wet bar. I mean, I feel like <laughs> if you had Jeremy Renner come on, just to, like flip your papal cell.
0: Yeah, he's like, I can make an in-wall bar. if he's like Don't you... <laughs> worry about that. That's yeah. fine.
1: Um, and I, I can, can we in the moment here, just, just, just fact check the actor who plays uh, Cardinal Vallello, because. Sure. I don't know the actor's name. I should. Oh, you want me to look it up, you mean? I I just mean while I I vamp for a second. Hold on a sec. This dude, I could listen to him talk heavily accented English forever. He is so wonderful. And the thing is, this is how good Sorrentino is as a filmmaker. He hears the way he speaks English, and he gives him more dialogue. No one speaks more on the show than he does, and not in his native language. And it's, like, musical. That's your boy Silvio, Silvio Orlando. Silvio Orlando's killing it. Um... Here, here's here's my thought about about this show. Like, we have spent a couple weeks post election talking about the struggling to talk about the role of art and artists. You know, this weekend you and I were both out at a march where a lot of uh, other a lot of other artists were, <laughs> actual artists were, and a lot of just ordinary human beings. And um, I think it's there was
0: probably a fair amount of podcasters there as well.
1: Probably a large number, disproportionate number of podcasters at the uh, L.A. march. I was anyway. actually
0: at the podcasters march. What march did you go to? I have no idea,
1: but there were a lot of hot takes floating around me. Um, we've been talking about art primarily as uh, reactive or responsive, like mm-hmm. how, to, how, how to respond. I think one thing that's truly amazing about art is the way that some people, whether by skill, prescience, connected to their, to their ability or not, essentially weather veins. Absolutely.
0: I know exactly what you're just to say. You're, um, you're absolutely
1: right. And the week of ele- election week, the Tribe Called Quest album came out and we talked about how it felt like in many ways the first piece of post-Trump art mm-hmm. because it was recorded well before him, but then during the rise. I mean, Fife has a line about him on there. Um, and it sounded a different way. It resonated in a different way. And I think that um, Sorrentino has, you know, licked his finger, put it in the air and felt some crazy winds blowing whether they were blowing across Europe or whether he was paying attention to something else or whether his muse just took him to the right place. Because the thing about this episode that really I found particularly unsettling this weekend I'm talking about the third episode, the fourth is airing tonight, Monday is the idea of institutions being stronger than people. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of this episode was about how he was elected, how, how our man Lenny got the job and the idea being personal grievances and a larger belief in an entrenched system, and there are few systems more entrenched than than the papacy, it is a little bit more entrenched than American representational government, yeah. you know, would survive, and that, in fact, the person in the big chair could be manipulated or be swayed by the vestments, by expectations, by people who've been there longer. And the truth is, no. You give someone power, they have power. Yeah. And everything that comes after that is, it's white-knuckle time. It's, it's terrifying. It, it
0: was a particularly... Um chilling episode you talk about prescience it was a particularly chilling episode to watch in light of everything that had happened over the last three days and i think that in in real life and i think that the ideas that he gets at that idea of um mystery and absence presence and absence presence and absence and and the idea that like that mystery is the key to uh to like basically holding people in your spell is to like keep them guessing as to what it was that you wanted, Mm -hmm. what it was that you meant. You never let people get comfortable. And yeah, and not letting people get comfortable. And this idea that, um, I mean, a lot of the things that he's doing in terms of like creating chaos, a lot of the things that people were like, we were hoping as a candidate, you were like this, we were hoping you would be like this Mm -hmm. in power. And he was like, no, that was me as a cardinal. Now this is me as a pope. Yeah, Popes don't, you know.
1: Candidates for any office, are essentially vessels to pour your own hope streams yeah, and expectations into. Yeah, and that's what into.
0: Boyello and that's what Spencer were sort of hoping, and I think that that's, there's also this element of the divine at work where they're trying to understand these are people who are ostensibly working in service of something greater than them. Yes. But are also somewhat cynical about that. You but, know,
1: Yes, but, let's think but about that. But
0: are starting to, to? I feel like yeah. I'm trying to answer a test question. No, no,
1: what I mean <laughs> is we're, we're saying the same thing. Think about how Spencer a Cromwell's character begins the episode, you know furious, resentful, um uh drunken, drunk, thank God, but on some level, right, at least so far as what we know, um he ends the episode kneeling and kissing his ring because he because he believes, and uh, Diane Keaton nudges him in this direction, they all do that well, at a certain point you have to be respectful of the office and the, the vows you took and the oaths you took right
0: oh i I took that to mean that boyello. And he had agreed that they were going to need to stop him, and that so he needed to get closer to him.
1: Right, but the point being, well, I think the brilliance of the show is that it works two ways. Yeah. Regardless of his motives, he bowed, he kneeled before him. You know, uh, he 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 took that one, and I and I think that that's what's truly scary. You know, is when you have people who are like, well, let, let's let's quiet down and be respectful of the office. You know, this was this episode. This episode featured a. Uh, Press conference in which someone yelled at a room full of journalists. and didn't take any questions. Yeah, I mean that's where we are, right? Yeah. I mean we have the, we have a show and a world with a gaslighter in chief, and that's pretty terrifying and pretty fascinating to watch it play out here. Mainly because just the way Sorrentino filmed it, whenever he filmed it, you know, in Venice a year and a half ago, or whenever he did, the journalists are like, "What we have, we what do we do here? We have been sitting in these chairs expecting people to give us answers, and so we expect them to give us answers, and when they don't."
0: What do they do? There's just something I want to talk about that I think it would be better maybe for a later episode, but it, it is something about the self-awareness of the show where, you know, obviously he and Spencer have that fight about, you know, Spencer is basically identifying like you were, you know, you've never left the gates of that. You're a little boy. Yeah, you're, you're a little boy, you're a nine-year-old and he's just like, stop psychoanalyzing me. Mm-hmm. And the degree to which, like, fictional characters, especially on television, are so acutely aware of their own building blocks do you know what i mean like they're always they're seemingly always aware of like the freudian motivations that lie at their at their center excuse
1: me arnold are you saying that they all have a tragic backstory <laughs> and that's key to their programming their reveries if you will
0: <laughs> What if this i really hope that westworld season two is is just the young pope and that we're just in the vatican oh, world oh it was the holy See season um I but I'll be interested to see how it plays it'll it'll be interesting to see whether or not that is literally the motivation mm-hmm. or whether he spins into the no there is some sort of relationship between pious and god. Can we just also talk about how um like what is driving this guy? You know, I think
1: last year's example of this was um maybe the year before was uh the years the years just blur friend you know, as long as we just, sit, we just sit in front of these microphones, um, Oscar Isaac dancing in Ex Machina. Mm-hmm. How we just want that, inject that into our art. You know, mm-hmm. turn that into like HGH for for television or movies. And sure, just, just stick it in. Uh, Voyello opening his MacBook Air and watching Maradona clips. Yeah, there's, a, there's been a lot
0: of Napoli Napoli stuff in the show. It's really funny. I,
1: I, it's just these little grace notes. Yeah. That make it something
0: extraordinary. Um, well, we talk a lot about prescience, and we talk a lot about being a weather vane. and it can work out really well in the case of the young pope, and then it can feel a little bit nicely done, uh, like it's it's all coming apart at the seams, like in the case of Homeland. Oh, you, Homeland stays homelanding. Why didn't anyone warn us? Is this, was this episode particularly? I can't, now I'm like, was this any worse than the first episode? Was I just sort of relieved to have it back? I don't even know, like, what. That's what. That's, this was a really bad episode of Homeland. I, I, I don't really have that much interest in continuing to watch it, not because it was deeply offensive. I just, I can't watch a dude have a seizure in a bodega for 10 weeks. It's, it strikes um, too
1: close to home. <laughs> <laughs> Bedstock do or die. And he almost
0: chose die. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, it does remind me of the times I used to go in and buy Tallboys Takate and refer to you as my business manager. I
0: I don't mean I just mean if you're going to spend half the episode on Quinn, please don't just be a bunch of dipshits about it and just be like, let's just let him like wander Brooklyn.
1: Let me pull a Monsignor Spencer and try to psychoanalyze the show a little bit. Go for it. The show Homeland's flaws and faults have always been the same across six seasons. Um, the larger one, which I think we should come back to, is. It, it's broken because you can't have the events of the first two seasons happen and then carry on any of these, pun intended, any of these characters as rational, rational, reasonable people for four, five, six, seven more seasons. You just can't. So the show has done the thing that TV shows have historically done, network shows, you just kind of forget about it and you move forward. Yeah. Which, respect, there's really no other way to do it um, in, in, terms of, in terms of those characters and, and rehabilitating them, moving them forward. The deeper flaw, I think, is one that I also am a little bit sympathetic to, which is... If you get a bunch of TV writers in a room, um, they don't want to sit and talk about plot. They don't want to talk about tricks. um, Westworld aside, they don't want to talk about um, how we're going to pull a fast one on the audience or do you know flip flip what everyone's expecting. They want to talk about character. Yeah, they want to talk about emotional motivation. They want to talk about um, grounding these people uh, in some sort of emotional truth so they're not just lab rats running through the maze. Do you think that's because TV
0: writers think that they have like a more higher calling than
1: yeah? Absolutely. But I think most people who write feel that way, too. Um, and, uh, you know, that's that's how you get from like, uh, you know, gamers and sports pages to like the, the, the columns we yeah, used sure. to read where people have like one sentence.
0: Rather than just we're saying like, this is what happened. You're like, this is what what happened meant.
1: And this is what it means. Yeah. Um, the, the show's biggest flaw was in the second and third season being like Brody isn't just this devious, crazy monster like he and Carrie are really in love. And the show lost me probably forever when it went all in on that. This is a love story, and they have this beautiful child together. Mm-hmm. You know, they were just 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 bad timing. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> it's like Notting Hill or something. Right. If only things had broken differently. Uh, we're back there again. We are back there again with Carrie and Quinn, who the show decided loved each other last year because they were among the few people. They were the only people in the the cast, not regular cast, not eligible for AARP cards. So. That doesn't make any sense. But OK, there are some people who definitely ship those characters. I've I've seen your tumblers, man. I, I believe it. <laughs> that's right.
0: Sarah and I, gas couldn't keep I, us apart.
1: I just fundamentally don't understand what anyone is doing on the show, because as we said, when we talked about the, the premiere, which we liked. Um, Quinn is like, Carrie, go away. And we're watching and we're like, yeah, go away. yeah, Go away. <laughs> like That's a really good move. Go yeah. away. This episode of him being like resentful and bitter, and then it ends with them watching him getting gassed, like some sort of like porno film that they're like fetishizing for 10 minutes. And she's like, That really happened to you? And he's like, Oh, bet, that's interesting. Yeah. I really drooled and pissed myself. <laughs> First of all, what did he think happened? She's
0: like, These are the tiles that I used to find you when what, you were paralyzed. What
1: kind of care were they giving him? Where they were like, I'm not even sure. I don't media? know anything
0: about I don't understand how. I don't understand anything about that plot. And I also don't understand, like, why were they like, we need to bring Max back? Look, the show, the show. I also hate, like, have a kid or don't have a kid. Yes. But stop being like, can you come babysit? Because most people wouldn't enjoy the idea of my child being in the house with a guy who doesn't shower and, and like, and, like and listens and, to Alex Jones all yet, day. P.S.,
1: who put the kid to sleep? <laughs> yeah, Did Max just ether her like Curious George? <laughs> Max like, what? has,
0: like, three jobs all of a sudden. Is he getting paid under the table for this? Max
1: has never got. Max has done favors for Carrie since season one. Um, look, uh, one more I, thing.
0: It, I like, just to go back to the prescient part. Like, yeah. it's interesting. You know, you could be predictive or you can be reactive. Homeland is somehow being both right now. But failing at both. Um, well, I mean, we were, but we were praising it last week. You know, we were like, oh my god, what a, like what incredible, like foresight to have this female president. Uh, well, to have this season be about a transition and have it oh, be well, about that's not predictive. The that's war just... between the intelligence community right. and the executive bridge
1: that's not the same sort of weather veining we're just being like they looked at when they were going to air and took advantage of it i think sure. well, that's, that's smart that's smart planning that i don't mean to disparage that
0: but it could have been it could have gone a lot differently absolutely
1: um but you know i i also think the one other thing that's dogged homeland from the beginning because of the because howard gordon um and alex gansa who created the show or adapted the show from the israeli version um worked on 24 you know, the, the, the idea that this was somehow like Slow Food 24 or like just a little bit fancier cable version of it, I think they've resisted that. They've resisted that. They've wanted to be a prestige cable drama. Yeah. Here's the thing. Like, I, I would be all in if they just were like, okay, we're 24 now. We're cable 24 where you can curse because what's dragging the show is this idea that somehow we're invested in the characters and their twisting relationships. I mean, I, I don't know how many times Claire Danes has to sneer at Mandy Patinkin, like how far have we gone from whatever that relationship was supposed to be? Well, I think that they
0: they basically set Saul and uh, Carrie up as the replacement of, I mean, you said it's Quinn, Carrie. But that that relationship at the center of the show needs to have a betrayal and trust tension. Yes. And so that's what, I. while I find it sort of nonsensical, also not entirely clear what the big betrayal is here for her to be advising the president-elect. I, I not. have a thought. She's the most wildly irresponsible, well, absolutely. dangerous. person I can person understand in the why the president the elect would be like, I don't want anybody knowing that this fruit basket is ex- telling me what to like, do. Here's the thing. Everyone remembers what she did, right? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? You know, like there's
1: one of the central things of this episode is, is Dara being like, we never forget 9-11. It's like, yo, <laughs> remember when your girl was like doing it with the dude who blew up Langley? <laughs> like yeah lots of cabin doing it sessions like your girl had yorkshire gold tea all-nighters yeah yeah with the man responsible for a worse attack on america arguably and then they're like well she shouldn't have the ear of the president no shit yeah like i really feel like the boldest move possible would be to just flip the perspective and just be like Dar Doll has some bars, like that dude <laughs> has a point.
0: You know, for real. I would love a show that we've talked about this before. I would love the Dar and Saul show. I like, I mean, Carrie as, as a character. They keep trying, but
1: I don't know. It it, it doesn't it doesn't work. But also, we want we do this every year. We fall for it. Because we want an American Lacare show, we want an American. But now they are show. there are
0: a bunch. I mean, they're not American necessarily, but there are so many espionage shows now that Homeland doesn't have to take the weight of all of that. So it's yeah. it's judged up against some pretty stiff competition.
1: Shouts to director Keith Gordon, though, again because his "I'm about to have a seizure" cam. <laughs>
0: It's pretty nice. It's pretty sweet. Looked look. a lot like the driving along the roads in 20th century women, Cam. But yeah. What I'm saying <laughs> is
1: I have definitely walked into bodegas and seen chemtrails <laughs> like that. Like That is not an unfamiliar. You're
0: like, need a bacon, egg, and cheese. I'm a bacon, egg, and cheese. And where are your baby wipes? <laughs> where are the baby wipes? Okay. Uh, Thursday, we're doing a mailbag. So if you oh, haven't yeah. already, hit us with questions at The Watch Pod uh, on Twitter, at The Watch Pod. Um, we will also be talking about some other shows. We'll hit you up with The Watch List. Uh, today or tomorrow and let you know what shows we're going to be talking about on Thursday but it'll be largely driven by your questions. Question number one which of us is the last Jedi?
1: <laughs> I think I know. Wait till Thursday to find Ooh. out. Talk to you then. May the force be with you Baranski!